You are listening to the Forcecom Frontline, bringing you to our soldiers on the front lines of readiness. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Forcecom Frontline. I'm Ashley and I'm your host. We've spent a lot of time talking about readiness in our last few episodes as we talked about training rotations at the combat training centers. And while we focused both on individual readiness as well as unit readiness, today we are really diving into an individual readiness topic and one that's actually really important um, and one that if you're like me, you don't think about a lot. Um, so joining me today is Woody Malone and he is the Forcecom G2 Security Division Chief. Thank you for joining me, Woody. Ashley, thanks for having me. So I... Like I said, I don't think about my security clearance until it's like time for me to renew it and get a new one. Um, and I, I, I don't think about what I'm doing and how that might affect my security clearance, but it does from what I understand. And so you're gonna give us some updates on what's new. We're gonna talk about some sort of things that have an impact on our clearance and some changes that are happening. So let's just start with the changes. What is new in the world of security clearances? Well, actually, this is very timely. There's a lot of innovation as far as clearances go right now. Uh, first, the Army is going to Trusted Workforce 2.0. Okay. So what that means for mostly the active duty soldiers, reserve, and, and guard, is that rather than having your clearance uh, revalidated every six to ten years, it's now processed as for continuous vetting. So the government's always looking at you all the time huh. for anything under the 13 adjudicative guidelines. Okay. And so, we'll get to those a little bit later. Yeah, yes, we will. <laughs> um, so it's very important for soldiers and civilians to self-report anything that falls under those guidelines uh, that may be uh, an issue of loyalty and trustworthiness and affect their, uh, their, their clearance. Soldiers under Trusted Workforce 2.0 will not have instant clearances, but they will have a favorable background investigation, what okay. we call a Tier 3. It's equatable to what is a, a secret clearance. Okay. So that's going to put them under continuous vetting. If you hear me say CV, I'm, I'm talking about continuous okay. vetting. So that's a big impact to the soldiers. Now with that, the continuous vetting part, as somebody that's trustworthy for the government, you have to self-report incidents that may affect your loyalty, trustworthiness, and suitability. Which is not something you really think. I know I have never thought, shoot, do I need to report that or not? Right. So <laughs> if in doubt, uh, report. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's always better to over-report than under-report. Okay. Because openness and trustworthiness is part of that. So failing to self-report can be a violation in and of itself. So sure. it can compound a problem and make it worse. Sure. And there's always a lot of stigma with people not wanting to uh, to report Absolutely. as affecting their, their professional careers. Right. And we're going to talk a little bit about that too. And we will. But this, you know, when you're talking about adjudications, you talk about administrative actions. They're not punitive in nature. Okay. They may seem like it, but they're not. Okay. Uh, and that affects people as we move forward. So you said that for our service members we're going the continuous vetting instead of the six and ten year re what i'm i don't have the right word the reinvestigation yes sorry um what about civilians and, and uh continuous vetting is for civilians it's, it's for okay. the whole workforce structured work uh workforce 2.0 affects the military primarily okay but thanks for pointing that out continuous vetting affects all trusted government uh employees okay and so 
So does that mean at year six, I don't have to be reinvestigated? Well, there's uh, two ways you're put under continuous vetting. Okay. One is uh, deferred. So if you're deferred, you do not have to redo your EQIP or your SF-86. Okay. Uh, it's only when an incident pops up that, that you're notified. Oh. If you're placed in as an other, and there's various reasons for that, there may be uh, some is issues in the background, or like myself, I was included in the pilot program, so, <laughs> so I'm another. So every six years, I have to do my SF-86. Okay. And it's just another chance to self-report any issues, any incidents. Okay. Because I know the few, the couple of times that I've had to do the whole investigation, you know, coming up with every address and all of that is such a pain in the butt. But I noticed last time some of that was saved in there. So it was helpful. <laughs> and, and see, that's, a, that's an interesting point because um, in the old days under – and even before it was six and 10 years, when it was 10 years for a, for a TS and 15 years for a secret, there's people that would update their security clearance and then they file bankruptcy. Oh. And, you know, if you look at the SF-86, it says in the last seven years. So by the time their investigation renewal come out, they never had to report it. Interesting. And, and soldiers and civilians did it two and three times. Huh. Um, so this really helps with with that, that specific as an example. So this closes that gap yeah. with, with risk and threats, especially insider threats. Okay, and so let's talk a little bit more about continuous vetting um, and the impacts that all of that has on clearances and favorable background investigations. So continuous vetting, what is happening? So the Army stood up a pilot program nine months ago for, it's called PSAP is the Personnel Security Accountability Program. And it tracks reporting through various uh, sources uh, on those adjudicated guidelines. Uh -huh. So um, what happens is when the Army, uh, and we'll call it the PSICOE, is the Personnel Security Investigation Center of Excellence okay. out of Aberdeen, <laughs> Maryland. And, and they fall under the Army Security Office, which is stood up under HQDA, they're located with INSCOM uh, right now. They'll, they'll probably break them out later. But when an incident shows up, the, the individual, well, first the security manager unit has 72 hours to contact the individual and get a response back into this, the Defense Information Security System, saying that the individual's been notified, the first part. And the second part uh, is if the commander director is going to suspend local access to classified information. Okay. So maybe this is a silly question, but how are they finding this information? So, <laughs> is, Can you tell me that? <laughs> well, and, and a lot of it's used for, for other resources, but it co it's coming from law enforcement. It's coming okay. from human resources. It, it's coming from medical reports. Okay. Uh, National Crime Information Center, uh, state okay. information, criminal information centers, um, well, Equifax, all your credit reporting sense. agencies. So all these are reporting. Yeah. Um, and the data is just there. So when it pops okay. up, it hits a name for an alert. And they say, okay, we have an alert on this individual. So interesting. It goes to the unit. <laughs> and like I said, the unit identifies the, the civilian or soldier and say, hey, you had this incident. Yeah. Um, you need to start preparing a response. At the same time, the commander or director looks at, is there a risk to national security? Do we need to remove that local access? Yeah. If they remove local access, 
you now can't get on any information system. So even NipperNet, without a waiver from uh, the DAA, which is up at 7th Signal Command. So you're struggling to do your job. Your job. <laughs> which, I mean, and for civilians, I know that I have, um, when I apply for jobs, it's you have to be able to obtain or retain your top secret or secret clearance. And so if I would assume, and we were going to talk about this a little bit more, but, um, you know, if you can't can't get on a computer and you can't do your job that's probably a big problem <laughs> well going past the, the military and department of defense like you said soldiers civilians contractors supporting dod uh but if you look at academia you look at educational yeah. institutes uh look at child care facilities right they're now doing what's called a suitability check and that's a little bit different from adjudications in that they're not determining for a clearance but they are determining that you're not a risk to anybody or yourself, uh, child care workers, MWR, yeah. AFES employees, um, anybody really working with the public, teachers have to have that suitability check. So this is something that carries on far beyond the military. Sure, sure, and not something that I have thought about typically, but um, it makes total sense. So I want to talk about these 13 adjudications. So what, what are they? Financial, I think, is one of them, right? Uh, financial is, is the biggest one we're seeing right now. Okay. Uh, and like I said earlier, when they pull credit reports or, or those alerts come off credit for reports, they don't even have to pull them. Uh, we're seeing a lot of individuals 30, 60, 90 days late and delinquent or more on, uh, on payments. Wow. And there's a lot of things that cause that. I mean, yeah. um, divorce, uh, deaths medical issues there's Absolutely. all kind of things but if you're having issues you have to report it and when you report it you're working on okay here's the issue here's why this happened right here's why this is not going to happen again here's my plan to get over this and get well here's how i'm going to make sure it never happens again and, and that includes all the help from the uh, employment assistance program yeah. the eap uh, financial services, AER, all those folks can help people get over this stuff. If it's financial, behavioral, or whatever. It's so interesting because I have, you know, I, I care about my credit and I check it quite a bit, but I feel like that is something relatively new in my life as I have gotten older and bought houses and cars and, you know, <laughs> progressed in living. But when I was younger, it was not something that I was super concerned about. Um, so I would assume that I'm probably not alone in thinking that. And for younger soldiers, you know, you might not think about your credit score, but it could make a difference. You know, and, and, and that's true, especially for the for the younger generation. Uh, just for the information technologies out there. I mean, we didn't grow up banking on our phones. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I walk into a bank and I have no idea what to do, to be completely honest. <laughs> When I say we, I mean people my age. I know. Okay. No, uh, so, you know, we didn't have that. Yeah. So identity theft is, is very real. Yeah. It's happened. It's happened to me. I oh, mean, wow. So you activate your credit alerts on, on your cards, yeah. your monitoring. But then you've got to be careful, too. I had an email come in, and it looked like it was from my credit card. I mean, I looked at all of it, and I don't know what stopped me, but I was like, this is not right. And so I went into my app. For my credit card and I had no notifications and so I didn't do anything with the email but it would have been so easy it looked legit <laughs> and, and, and it is and if you fall for it you know you can't be embarrassed you can't be afraid you got to yeah. come up and say hey I had this happen 
and and get on top of it work with your creditors yeah uh so and most of them understand this and they, and they work with you i mean i even and this is kind of off topic but when we before here we were in germany and so when we came back we'd been gone for three years and i feel like before we left the spam calling was not as intense as it, as it is now um and one of the first calls i got was somebody saying my social security number had been I don't know, uh, revoked or whatever. I don't know what they're saying. And I was like, oh, dang, like I need to press the number to see what's going on. And thankfully something again clicked and I was like, this is not real. This guy is asking me too many questions that he shouldn't be asking. And so I said something to him and he hung up on me. But I know that it, not everybody thinks like, oh no, somebody's trying to scam me. It's easy because they're good. <laughs> oh, oh, they're real good. And uh <laughs> You know, it's it's amazing with technology out there how they can make stuff look real and yeah. even click on a link and the link looks real. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, but an, so, what is the number one reason for adjudication? So the number one reason for adjudication is to determine if somebody's reliable and trustworthy enough and suitable to have access um, for. Uh, access classified information, and that's adjudication. And like I said, suitability is to make sure somebody's a, a fit and doesn't have um, stuff in their closet where they may be sure. uh, criminal or other malicious intents. Sure. Um, and so I sit on a bunch of suicide prevention working groups, and as this has come up quite a bit, that if I go, there's a stigma that if I go and I get behavioral health care, I'm going to lose my security clearance or I'm not going to be able to progress in my career. And so I just want to, I, I want your, your, what is the real answer to that? Let's get down to it. <laughs> all right. The, the stigma with uh, reporting mental behavioral issues. Uh, first of all, self-reporting is your best friend. Uh, if, if you're having issues that's affecting you, you need to talk to professional right. help. And, uh, uh, I'll, I'll give you an experience uh, on that. Um, it was a few years ago, and uh, I'd just come off a trip, and I was getting ready to go to bed. And like everybody else, I said, let me check social media one more time because um, I cut that stuff off unlike everybody else when I go to sleep. <laughs> so I looked on social media, and I saw a post from somebody I didn't like, and it, it kind of scared me. And I saw a bunch of follow-up responses, are yeah. you okay, call me, do you need help? And, you know, um, between somebody deciding to do something and the time they do it is very short. Yeah. So I just picked up the phone and called the person. And it, it was a security professional that was in another state uh, far away. So I, I called the person, and he answered, and I, I just bluntly asked him, are you okay? Well, uh, I said, are you going to harm yourself? Well, yeah. Okay, so there's an intent. Yeah. Do you have a plan? Well, yeah, I think as soon as I finish this bottle of Jack Daniels, I'm just going to shoot myself. Oh. So they answered the wind. Yeah. So I was like, uh, what's going on? Talk to me. Yeah. So while they're talking to me, I gave the phone. Uh, I woke my wife up, gave her the phone, said, hey, talk to this person. Don't let them off the phone because they're not going to do anything while you're on the phone. Yeah. I grabbed another phone. <laughs> the one thing you cannot do is dial 911 from another state, okay? <laughs> sure. And, and then the law enforcement <laughs> don't know how to get to anybody else. And I'm worried that this individual is a quick drinker. Sure. So um, 
I finally got the 911 law enforcement in that area, got them on the way. I grabbed the phone back uh, from my wife and I told them, here's the deal. Go and lock your front door. Take your gun, put it over on the kitchen table away from you. Sit down on your couch, facing the front door, and keep your hands in view. The ambulance is coming, but because there's a weapon, the yeah. cops are coming too. Yeah. So when they get there, just yell, I'm on the couch, my hands are visible, open the door. And just stay there, and they'll take care of the rest. Um, so they took the individual in, got them treatment. And the whole thing was is the, uh, the individual was quitting smoking. Yeah. And had a reaction to one of the quit smoking medications that affected them. Oh my gosh. Uh, in about three days treatment and, and everything's fine, some follow ups. But this individual was a ComSec custodian. And when you talk about accesses to uh, classified and sensitive sure. information, there's no greater controls than people on the, yeah. the ComSec accounts. And sure. it was a TS ComSec account. Nothing happened with their history. They reported it straight to the security manager. When they did their SF-86 interview, uh, their reinvestigation, they talked about it then. Yeah. And there was no delay in the in, in the regranting of the uh, the access to TSSEI, Top Secret Sensitive Department of Information. So I know somebody who's, who, and I, I know that what she was told was not right, but she um, had gone to the doctor and was getting on some medication for depression and they were like well you know if if you get on that you could lose your career which I understand from my I don't think is the right answer um but she was like oh my gosh they're they're saying this to me and so I I guess my question is you know at what point is there a chance that you could have that that something might happen to to your career or your clearance the thing is 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 there there's always a possibility of a chance happening Okay. But that chance is greater if you don't report it. Right. But even worse than that, if you have an underlying issue that you're not getting treated for or the proper treatment because you're afraid of taking a specific medication, uh, then you're putting your life at risk on something that may or not be true. Right. Um, I know of very few medications by themselves, if any, legal medications. Yeah. I'm not yeah. talking about you know <laughs> the holistic healers and self-medication, sure. but... That would cause somebody to lose their clearance. Okay. Uh, matter of fact, I've been to DOD adjudications course, and you know I like to ask silly questions. That yeah. You I may, do too. You may you <laughs> may wind up once in a while, and that's you know hey if uh, if I'm taking Xanax, will I lose my clearance? Yeah. Well, no, that's a stupid question. Okay, I asked a bunch of them. <laughs> if I have Tourette's, will I, will I yeah. lose my clearance? Well, during your seizures, are you shouting out classified information? No. Oh, you're good. Right. So, it's amazing the stuff that that is manageable yeah. with a, with a clearance. Well, and somebody once said to me too, you know, if you get to the point where you know there might be an issue, you've waited too long to get the help that you need, and so it's it's better to speak up and not be scared to go out and seek behavioral health care, because um, that in the end is probably the better option than you know, who knows what. Exactly. But um, so other adjudications. So, you know, what about DUIs and, you know, all of that sort of bad stuff? So um, you, you have the criminal aspects when you start talking about a DUI. You have, okay. you have uh, traffic uh, incidents. Whenever there's an adjudication issue, they look at the total person concept, the whole person concept. Okay. Is this a one-time thing? Were there circumstances leading up to it? 
how long ago has it been since that ha has happened? Um, what steps has a person taken to overcome this issue? See, I think that's really interesting too. Like, so if I have, if I mess up, you're not just going to look at that one thing in my entire life that happened. You're going to look at the whole picture. Right. Which I think is really important <laughs> because we all do go through things and, and things happen. And we do when life happens. And, yeah. And sometimes there's stuff that's, that's brought against us or accused against us that we're not even guilty of. Sure. But if that happens, you report the accusations, and then the final adjudication will be based on the, the final rulings of the courts, and then, like I said, everything else. Um, traffic offenses. If you go through Virginia and you're going 80 miles an hour or 20 miles over the speed limit, that's reckless driving in Virginia. That's not a traffic incident. They're taking you in for a felony. Reckless oh. driving. You want to go in front of a judge that day. Uh, if you can't secure about $5,000 bond, they're going to put you in jail. Wow. Um, so you look at something as simple as a traffic accident. And I bring that up because reporting traffic offenses used to be $300. Well, inflation, we've, we've they've taken that up to $5,000. <laughs> but if there's a pattern of those track of traffic offenses, then that's... Sure. But, you know, the thing with the DUI is, okay, let's say you got a DUI. Well, you're going hunting, so there's an unregistered weapon in the vehicle. There's an open container. You, you hit a stop sign and kept going. Yeah. So now it's not a DUI. It's four charges. Right. Or, or, or points again adjudication. Right. So if something's happening, it's not necessarily because it's one single thing, but, you know, things add up. And looking at, like I said, the whole picture of the incident. Right. Now... There, there, there are some things that, um, you know, if you go to jail for, you're probably not going to retain a security clearance or a favorable background investigation. Or stay in the Army, for that matter. Or stay in the <laughs> Army or in the, or as I call it, the Army family. So you're sure. Army civilians, contractors, Absolutely. and things like that. Absolutely. So if I, so first I want to start with, how do I self-report? Because I don't, I will be honest, I don't know. There's Two people you need to talk to, your commander, director, and then your security manager. Okay. So here in the headquarters, each director has a security manager, yep. and they work with my security team. Okay. Uh, here at Forcecom headquarters, I have Miss uh, Ennis Anabria and Miss Kayla Niesbitt, and they are my PERSEC managers. Okay. And they are, they are the most knowledgeable personnel on all these ongoing changes. And they work with people throughout the command every day on making sure that they file timely and proper um, actions to maintain okay. their clearances. Okay. Because we're here for the soldiers and civilians of ForceCom. So, random question. So, with self-reporting, should I also be self-reporting? Maybe it's not self-reporting after I ask this, but <laughs> like if, if, if my brother-in-law got arrested, is that something that I need to report? Um, there's, there's a thing for associations, Okay. but that's if you're actually involved with gangs and things like that. Okay. If you have members of your family that are doing stuff they shouldn't, especially if they're not even in the same household, uh -huh. uh, it's not really a self-reportable, uh, okay. incident. Okay. I wouldn't be riding with them a lot, you know, and, uh, <laughs> so maybe put some distance holding in packages <laughs> for them and things like that. But, okay. you know, we all have Fair those enough. family members. I'm just saying. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> That's funny. Um, all right. So what about, 
I understand that there's an appeal process. So I know some of this question is going to be human resources. Um, but, you know, like I said before, if I get hired under the condition I have to have a security clearance and then, you know, something happens and it is revoked, can I appeal? What can I do? All right. Excellent question. Um, so we talked about the commander making initial determination, the incident investigated. Then it goes back to CAF and they'll give a determination on whether you, uh, they're suggesting you keep your clearance or lose your clearance. Okay. If your clearance has been revoked, there is appeals process. Okay. And, and there's two ways you can go. Um, you can go through the uh, defense office hearing and appeals, which we call DOHA, and that's where you actually appeal in front of a judge. Now, it's not a legal judge, but it's a judge in the matter. So it's not like you're going to the circuit court to appeal. This is a person identified as a judge in these cases. Okay. Um, or you can appeal through the Personnel Security Appeals Board, and that's what most people do is they s submit written appeals to the appeal board um, with documentation. The other thing I tell people, have letters of recommendation. Okay. You know, if, if you're the good person you say you are, have letters from, you know, your spiritual advisor, have them from your commander, uh, people that know you, uh, yeah. anybody in the community that will stand up and say, hey, this person's really a good person. They just had one bad thing. Yeah. So I feel like we have unpacked a ton of stuff and there's a ton of information that we just covered. But what did we miss? <laughs> Is there anything that we missed? So we talked about the background investigations. We talked about affecting the private sector. Yep. Uh, we talked about the appeals process, the difference between um, adjudications and suitability. Um, I think there's one thing we talked about before when we're discussing uh, maybe doing this, and that's, you know, do I lose my job? Do I lose my MOS? Yeah. So, and, and that's where we talk about, okay, security and adjudications and clearances, that's administrative. Uh, the, the fact that it determines whether you have a, I call this C, significant emotional event. CE is eye-opening thing okay. uh, that affects your life. I like that. Um, that's going to be up to your your supervisors, commander, directors, uh, human resources, and I always throw legal in there because, you know, the military really doesn't do anything without getting a legal opine on it. Okay. So the, the commander, director, uh, they'll weigh in whether you should change MOSs um, or, or civilian jobs uh, or be uh, put out. Uh, HR will look for other positions for you or put a panel together or hearing for that. And then the final product will be uh, weighed against a, a legal authority. Okay. Uh, so when I had employees, um, and, and the big, best example is I had a nuclear reactor at White Sands. And if you're guarding a nuclear reactor, minor things now become big things. Sure. And it's called the personal reliability program uh, that personal had to meet the standards of. And if for any reason they didn't meet the standards, uh, we first pulled them offside the course, notified them. If um, the process HR says, no, this will never happen again and, and they'll never get their suitability back, okay, you go back to the person and so say, I need to update a resume from you with all your skills because we're going to look oh. for a position locally for you and see if there's one that may be filled. And if not, then, then you look at separation wow. uh, from federal service. 
So, but though, at least it's not like, well, you don't have this. You can't do this anymore. You're out. I mean, right. we're, we're not throwing anybody out on the street right now <laughs> in, that, in that example. Right. I mean, like we said earlier, there are things that's going to impact you. Uh, yeah. Like here at the headquarters, you have to have a favorable tier three investigation to come in the building. Yeah. So if your access is, is revoked or suspended, you're, you're not going to work you're out of Marshall Hall. You yeah. Know? So we have to find workarounds for that working with, uh, with leadership. But and, and like you options. said, too, the computer. I mean, how many of us spend all day on the computer? <laughs> That's what I do most of the time when I'm not in here doing this. Um, so to not have access to a computer system would be detrimental. It, it is. And then, you know, if you look at, oh, well, I work on tactical systems. Well, that includes tactical systems. Even if they if they connect to the nipper yeah. or sipper or, or J-Wigs at some point, the thing is that data will leave that standalone system and connect somewhere. So that's still a trust suitability thing. Interesting. So it's any IE systems. Well, this, you enlightened me a ton on things that I just had no idea about, um, you know, especially like self-reporting. Honestly, like I, I'll be honest, I have never self, I don't know that I have anything that I should have self-reported, self-reported, but I have not. <laughs> I have not. <laughs> um, but even the whole behavioral health thing, I think that's so important to talk about. And I don't think it's talked about, I think we're trying to talk about it more, but there is still such a stigma that if I go and I, I get help for something that I'm going through, that I'm going to have an issue with my security clearance. And we're debunking it. Not true. Not true. All right. I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate your time, too. Um, thank you for doing this. I think I think we at least glossed over some of it and touched on some key points. I think that there's probably a lot more that we could talk about. Um, maybe we can do that down the road, too. Dive in a little bit deeper. That'd be awesome. <laughs> and, and I encourage, you know, people with questions, contact your security manager. Okay. If you don't know who your security manager is, contact me, contact my staff. <laughs> we, we will help you. And we, and you know, you can always contact me and I can put you in the right direction, point you in the right direction too. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Woody. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Ashley. And as Woody mentioned, there are 13 adjudicative guidelines used to determine eligibility to perform sensitive duties, as well as evaluating the impact of a potentially derogatory event. And since we didn't get to all of them, I wanted to take a moment to mention them. And they are allegiance to the U.S., foreign influence, foreign preference, sexual behavior, personal conduct, financial considerations, alcohol consumption, drug involvement, psychological conditions, criminal conduct, handling protected information, outside activities, and use of information technology systems. And we're also going to include in our show notes the Defense Counterintelligence and Security Agency website, where you can get additional information on all of the topics we discussed today. And we'll be back next week with a special episode to highlight Women's History Month. And in the meantime, as always, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and also on YouTube, where you have full video episodes of each podcast. All right, we'll see you next time on The Frontline. Line.